amazing grace. The only reason that I'm standing before you right now is because of amazing grace. The only reason I have not blown my brains out with a gun is because of amazing grace. The only reason that I'm breathing is because of amazing grace. The only reason I have even the slightest ability to stand before you and speak is because of amazing grace. The only reason that I'm able to sleep in a bed tonight and wake up in my home tomorrow morning is because of amazing grace. The only reason I have a job is because of amazing grace. The only reason that I can even function, that I'm standing on two legs, that I am speaking is amazing grace. We don't realize how important and how valuable amazing grace is. Every single day we have opportunities to sin and we take those opportunities. We have opportunities to be filled with pride. We have opportunities to say something we shouldn't say, do something we shouldn't do. We can run away from God like Jonah. We can hang out with the wrong people like Samson. We can do something bad and try to hide like Moses. But at the end of the day, amazing grace will still be there for you and for me. Grace is something that every single one of us must receive on a daily basis. We have to know the power of amazing grace. And we will never know that power if we don't realize what we're like apart from amazing grace, apart from Jesus. 80% of the Bible is who we are away from God, not with him. It's easy to say through Christ we're overcomers and through Christ we have this power and through Christ we can do this and we can do that and we're healed and we're delivered. And that. But who we are apart from amazing grace is very, very important. You'll never appreciate it like you should if you don't know what kind of, and don't take this the wrong way, but what kind of wretched, sinner, and evil person you are away from God. Every day we have thoughts of, of lust that play on the movie screen of our minds, and we don't turn it off right away. We don't cast it down like we should. And for you ladies that think, oh, I don't have lustful thoughts, think about whenever you drive by Krispy Kreme and the hot sign comes on. <laughs> You will swerve through three lanes of traffic, flick seven people off, try to get there. And you got. And if you don't get there before the hot sign turns off, you're going to fuss at somebody. You'll lose your salvation for a hot Krispy Kreme donut. That, that is lust. If you don't know what grace is, let me give you the definition. It's something I never, ever, ever, ever want you to forget. Grace is this. It's unearned kindness. It's divine enablement. It's unearned kindness. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. It is unearned kindness. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to pay for it. It is divine enablement. It enables you to overcome sin. The only way you can overcome anything is through the grace of God. There's a story in the Bible that I personally relate to more than any other story, and that is the story of Hosea. He was a great man of God, a great prophet, and I don't relate to him in this story. Hosea was asked by God to go and purchase a prostitute for a wife. And so he's obedient and he goes to this woman who had been used and abused for many years. And he purchases her and takes her into his home and they become husband and wife. Now you think they'd live happily ever after. Hosea and the former prostitute, they have a family and here she is living with a, a, a minister, a great man of God, everything's fine. Until one day after several years this prostitute, her name was Gomer, she leaves the house. She leaves this safe haven, and she goes back into prostitution. Only it's worse. This time it's not just prostitution. It's prostitution slavery. And she's used and abused like you wouldn't even believe now. She's abused mentally, sexually, physically, 
spiritually, emotionally. I mean, her whole life is in just shambles. She is just the worst, the worst, the worst. A few more years ago by now, she's back on the auction block. Here the men are standing around to, to auction on this prostitute slave, and I'm sure they're saying things like, 50 cent, a dollar, a dollar 25. I can picture Gomer standing up there covering herself up in shame, looking down, thinking, oh, how embarrassing it is. I, there's nothing left of me. I'm, 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 worth, I'm worth less than a dog. And her former husband, Hosea, comes walking by again. Here the auction block's going on. The guys are out there bidding. And he sees what's going on, and God says, Hosea, buy her back again. And he's obedient. So he goes to the back of the room, and just before he's going to yell out the winning bid, which would probably be $2, $2.25 for a life with a prostitute slave, God says, Hosea, bid it all. And Hosea looks in his cell phone, he gets his accounts out, and he sees, I got an IRA, I got retirement, I got this, this, if I sell the house. And he yells out the most obscene amount of money. whatever it is. When he yells out that amount, I can picture all the men in the room thinking, is this guy crazy? Does he know this prostitute's been used, abused, up and down, she's worth nothing? Maybe he thinks that they're auctioning all the slaves at the same time. He yells it again, $30,000. And the crowd parts like the Red Sea. And Hosea starts walking down the aisle, and Gomer, I can imagine, she looks up. She recognized the voice, and she thinks, no, 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 no. I ran away from you. I did you wrong. You took me in even the first place when you shouldn't have. No, no, no. And I can picture Hosea jumping up on stage, and he doesn't just grab her by the hand. I picture him picking her up and carrying her out like she's worth a million dollars. And God tells Hosea, he said, Hosea, that's my job for you for the rest of your life. I want you to tell my people this is how much I love them. They can run away from me time and time again, but I'll buy them back as many times as it takes. And I'm not just going to grab them by the hand. I'm going to pick my children up and walk out like they're worth a billion dollars. In fact, we're worth more than that. We're worth the price of his own son. Grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. It's free, but it wasn't cheap. Have you ever had something given to you and then somebody said, now I need you to pay for it? You know, they give you a gift like a a robe or a pair of slippers or something. They say, okay, whenever you get a chance, not today, whenever you get time, uh, that'll be $38.50. You know, the only time I've ever paid for a gift is when my kids got it for me. You know, I see like a Father's Day present, I think, ah, this isn't my style. And then I realize on my debit card that it cost me $80 for a shirt. That's not my style. But Ephesians 2.8 says, by free grace, you're saved through faith. It was nothing you did but a gift from God. There's a big difference in something that you earn and something that was given to you as a gift that's free. Whenever you get paid at the end of the week, you don't go to your boss and say, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm so glad you paid me for the hours that I worked. But if your boss comes to you and says, I saw you sleeping on the job, you were late twice this week and you had a bad attitude, but here's a $10,000 bonus. Man, you'd be so excited. You'd be ecstatic. You'd be so grateful. That's the kind of attitude we should have on a daily basis for being able to accept a free gift like the grace of God. I'm sure you've heard the, the, the scripture that says sin, uh, that love covers a multitude of sins. Well, I have a phrase I want us to remember, and that is grace covers a multitude of stupidity. Grace covers a multitude of stupidity. Every one of us have done stupid things. We probably do it on a weekly basis, something we know for a fact we shouldn't do. We know we shouldn't watch that 
on the internet. We know we shouldn't have said that to our boss. We know we shouldn't have gossiped about this person behind their back. We know we shouldn't have judged this person wrong. We know we shouldn't have stolen from God the tithe. Whatever it is, we know. We know when there's stupid things. And that's what grace is there for. And how dare any of us think that we don't need as much grace as somebody else. How dare we act that way? It's like the guy that, that, that died and he went to the pearly gates and and um, Gabriel says, before you get in, you need 100 points. And the guy said, well, how do I get 100 points? He said, well, tell me the good stuff you did on earth, and I'll give you some points for it. He said, okay, well, I went to church for about 54 years of my life straight. I was a faithful member. And Gabriel said, that's a good job. That's one point. The guy thought, man, one point? He said, okay. I tithed for 27 of those years straight. Gabriel said, that was great, man. That's a half a point. He said, half a point? He said, ooh, 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 I never had bitterness in my heart. I always forgave people when they wronged me very, very quickly. Gabriel says, man, I'm so proud of you. That's a point and a half. God thought, man, a point and a half. He said, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Gabriel said, okay, come on in. And every single one of us, when we get to heaven, we're not going to say, I got here because I did this. I got here because I stayed strong in the faith. I stayed here because I really did good in Sunday school. I stayed here because I knew the word of God. Every one of us in heaven, we're going to get up there and say, I am here. Here's why. We're going to see the nail prints in the hand of Jesus Christ. And we're going to say, the only reason I can even look at this place is because of that right there. And when we start getting off course on earth and thinking that somehow that we've earned salvation, that we have earned God's kindness in our life, we get completely off course, off track in our thinking. The grace of God is a gift for people that do stupid things, people that do evil things, people that do dumb things. I read about this guy, I told you before, in Georgia, he was uh, 21 years old, good kid, grew up in church, dad was a pastor, he knew right from wrong, but when he turned 21, his friends wanted to take him and get him drunk. So he agreed, and man, he got drunk as a skunk this night, and they were on their way home. It was midnight, and um, they, they pulled over on the side of the road, and there was a telephone pole, 40 feet in the air, and they dared the kid whose birthday it was, they dared him to get out there and climb the pole. So he did it. He climbed the pole, drunk as can be, middle of the night. He gets to the very top when he's expecting his friends to, you know, honk the horn and cheer for him, and all of a sudden, he loses his footing from the very top, and he falls backwards, 40 feet in the air, to a sudden, certain death. All of a sudden, somehow, it was a miracle, but his leather belt he was wearing got caught on a piece of metal hanging out the side of the telephone pole, and it acted like a harness, and it saved his life. His friends took off, just left, didn't even say bye, nothing like that. Here he is, hanging up there, drunk. It's 12 o'clock at night. He hangs there for two hours until finally a fire truck shows up and saves him. And the next day, the newspapers in Georgia read this, Pants save drunk man from death. That's what God's grace is all about. Now, this doesn't mean we can go out and do whatever we want to do. You know, John Paul said that I can get drunk and climb a telephone pole and God's grace will take care of me. John Paul said that we're trying our best to serve God, but along the way we do very stupid things. And every single one of us are in need of the grace of God daily. Hebrews 4.16 says, Come boldly and confidently. To God's throne, we can receive mercy for failures. It's interesting, out of all the reasons God says, come to my throne, I am a perfect God. Perfect. I know all, I see all, I've been all, I am perfect. And the reason I want you to come to my throne, of all other reasons we could think of, it's so I can be good to you 
when you fail. And undeserved grace to help in time of need. Here's what I'm telling you. Stop running from the call of God that's on your life because of stupid things you've done. You can climb to the top of a telephone pole and God will still be there. You can get drunk as a skunk. When you sober up, he'll still be there. You can do drug after drug after drug, look at pornography after pornography after pornography, have one lustful thought after the other, and God will still be there with his arms held open wide saying, I still have a destiny for you to fulfill. Don't dare think you can run too far to the east and God won't be there, too far to the west and God won't be there. So you say, well, what do I do about sins? Well, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and take away, everybody say take away. Take away our sins. Throws them into the sea of forgetfulness, takes them away. The biggest theological word in this scripture right here is the word if. It's the biggest and most important word, and that is if we confess our sins. He's faithful to completely take them away. When we stop confessing our sin, we stop considering it as sin. You can go ahead and put it up there, Erica. When we stop confessing it as sin, we stop considering it as sin. When we stop considering it as sin, it becomes a normal part of our life, and it will destroy us. There are earthly consequences for disobeying God. So how do I know if I've been forgiven? How do I know if he's taken it away? If you've confessed. And not to some person, but to God. You can put that one up there too. How do I know if I've been forgiven? If I've confessed. So I wanted to show you something because uh, I gave a, a talk this weekend and I had to use some... Um, whatever you call these things. And so I made some, um, I made some little poster board thing to show you something. Now, I know you can't see this from up here. I don't know if they can see it online. I'm sure they can. But anyway, so <clears throat> I did some um, research. I did some background checks on some of y'all. And um, I actually wrote down some of the things I found was on your background check. And, um, and you know the people. I'm going to call them out by name. You know these people. But you see some of these sins here. There's, there's drunkardness. There's incest. There's um, disobedience. There's blasphemy, prostitution, idols, adultery. Lying. It's all in there. And let me just tell you, biblically, if, you have, um, if you've broken one of the laws, you've broken them all. You're a lawbreaker. Okay, if you broke one law, you're a lawbreaker. And there's laws all through the Bible, all the Old Testament. There's even something you're supposed to do when you get a scab. And so if you break one, you break every single one of them. It's like, I'm a felon because when I was 17 years old, I ran my truck into something and they tried to sue. And long story short, and I was innocent. Anyway, and um, <laughs> I'm not innocent. But I was a felon at 17 years old. But my grandma, she got a speeding ticket when she was um, like 80-something years old. And so guess what? We're both lawbreakers. Me and grandma, both lawbreakers. Now, there may be a different consequence, but we're both lawbreakers, okay? So, <laughs> I wanted to show you, I want to show you the power of the cross, the power of, 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 of confessing your sin to God and believing that he's taken it away. I want to show you the power of grace here, okay? In the Old Testament, on this side of the cross, Noah was a drunkard and he had public nudity, public indecency, right? Remember, he got drunk and naked. On this side of the cross over here, it says in Hebrews eleven seven, Noah obeyed God, built a boat, and received the righteousness that comes by faith. Notice how God sees him on this side of the cross. Thank God we live on this side of the cross. Over here on this side of the cross, Abraham impregnated his maid. He had a child out of wedlock, and he was a deadbeat dad. He kicked the child and, the, and the, the woman away and didn't even give him child support or nothing. Deadbeat death. But on this side of the cross, he says in Hebrews 11, 11, Abraham trusted God to keep his promise. Listen, 
Listen, he didn't trust God to keep his promise. Well, the Bible says he did. He didn't. He impregnated his, his maid because he wanted a child. When God said it was supposed to be Sarah, he didn't. But God threw that in the sea of forgetfulness. And on this side of the cross, it says he trusted God to keep his promise. Over here in the Old Testament, on this side of the cross, Moses was a murderer. With his own bare hands, he murdered somebody. But over here on this side of the cross, 1127, by faith, Moses saw God and held on to his purpose. On this side of the cross, Samson committed adultery with prostitutes, hung out with the wrong people. On this side, Hebrews 11.33, Samson subdued kingdoms and administered justice and obtained promised blessings. On this side of the cross, Lot committed incest. He slept with his two daughters, got them pregnant. On this side of the cross over here, Lot was full of strife. And the Bible says God hates strife. On this side of the cross, Lot stole property that didn't even belong to him. He was a thief. But on this side of the cross, in 2 Peter 2, 7, it says Lot lived right and was a good man. What the heck is going on? See, you don't see the power of the cross of Jesus Christ on a daily basis like you should. You don't realize the expense that he went to. For God not to even remember what the man did. On this side of the cross, David committed adultery and murder. And this was after he quote unquote got saved. I know he didn't get saved in the Old Testament, but he was a saved guy. Spent a lot of time with God. God blessed him. God did amazing things in David's life. I mean amazing. Most popular man in the world at the time. And yet over here in Acts 13, 22, I have found David to be a man after my own heart. He does everything I want him to do everything God everything were you watching did you see what happened everything do you know that you can put my name over here and say whatever you want to say but you know what it says about me on this side of the cross John Paul lived right he's such a good guy he's so handsome he's like the greatest because <laughs> he was ugly over here but over here he's so handsome <laughs> Here's what I want to tell you. When the sinner in the Old Testament, when he would bring the lamb, the sacrifice to the priest to have the lamb sacrifice so that his sin could be atoned for that day, the priest never looked at the sinner. He always examined the sacrifice. When God sees you, he doesn't see the sinner. When he looks at you, he looks at the sacrifice. When he sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus that surrounds your life the day you believed. Don't get your position mixed up with your performance. This is one of the most important points today. If you write anything down, if you get anything tattooed on your forehead backwards, so you, when you look in the mirror, you can read it. It should be this. Don't get your position mixed up with your performance. Your position as a child of God regardless of your performance. Your position is you are in right standing with God because of Jesus. Don't let what you do take you away from that position. When the prodigal son left home, he was still the father's son. He was still the father's son, even though he was eating with the pigs. He finally realized that and he got back. He thought, man, this isn't my position. My performance may suck right now, but my position is that's my dad. And he goes back home to where his father is. Don't let your position and your performance be 
cause you to get confused on where you're supposed to be. See, a lot of people, they run from church to church to church. They go from this place to this place, and they get confused, and they go from this group of people and this sin and this drug and whatever they do because they don't realize. They don't get in their head they're a child of God. They don't realize their position is supposed to be serving God, growing as a leader, helping people all over the world. Let me show this to you. In Romans 4, 2 through 3, it says, if Abraham, who's the father of our faith, if he was justified by works, in other words, if he, if he was in right standing with God because he did the right thing, then he could boast, which means God would owe us something. If you could change on your own, then God owes you something. If you can get saved on your own, then God owes you heaven. Do you really think that God owes us anything? The way we've lived, the thoughts we've thought, the things we've done. Do you think a perfect, not good, but a perfect. He doesn't require goodness. He requires perfection. That's why we have to have the blood of Jesus. Because that was the perfect sacrifice. We're righteous not because we do right. We're righteous because Jesus did right and we believe in him. It goes on to say, Abraham believed and it was credited to his account righteousness. It was credited to his account. In other words, God put righteousness in Abraham's account. Here's why. Because he believed. Bam. Closed deal. Now I'm going to show this to you. I have three accounts up here. I'm going to have three, I need three, I'm going to have an account of a bad person, I'm going to have an account of a good person, and I'm going to have an account of a perfect person. Okay, can everybody see it? The perfect person is who? We know that, right? Jesus. That's the perfect person, okay? Now, I need a bad person. Mark. <laughs> Mark's not here, so that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> I know this guy really well. He's a bad guy. He's done some really bad things, bad things. Now I need a good person. Now I can't really think of a good person, so I'm just going to pick a random name, and I don't know. We'll just see. We'll see what comes of uh, something like that. Oh, just a random name. I don't know. Pastor Pam's a good person. Everybody loves Pastor Pam. You know? <laughs> Solid Rock is Pastor Pam there. This is John Paul, the senior pastor. But is Pastor Pam there? I'll get you. To you. Yeah, pastor Pam. <laughs> I was delivered of looking at pornography. She was delivered of looking at Smurfs. So it's just a two different. We have two different backgrounds here. <laughs> so. In this, R equals righteous. Jesus was, is righteous. He did the right thing the whole time. In my account, this is kind of like what my life looks like, okay? Got a bunch of S's here, S's there. Oh, no, that one's a good one. I won't take that one. That's okay. S's there. I got a little one there. That's got a little one. Okay. Okay, what the heck? Okay, there we go. So there's, there's some S in my hand. But I have done some right things. I did a few right things in my life. I've done some right things here. You know, the past 12 years have been okay. There's some there. Okay, I don't know. But it's, oh, but not that one. Nope. Okay. Okay, so this is my account. Pastor Pam's account looks kind of like this. She's such a good girl. Everybody loves Pastor Pam. Pastor Pam's so sweet. She sings so pretty. She's so kind to us. John Paul doesn't want to talk to us, but Pastor Pam does. Okay, so that's Pastor Pam right there. <laughs> But hey, she wasn't perfect. We all know there's a little bit of that in there. You know, that time in 1984, you know. Okay, there we go. There we go. Okay. So. <laughs> she watched the Smurfs for a few years too. Okay, there we go. Okay. Now, I don't know which account you can relate to more. I would guess that a lot of the men can relate to my account. 
I would assume that a lot of the ladies can probably relate to her account. And, and, you know, the way you're raised has to do with it and things like that. But either way, here's the point I need you to see. Two things. Number one is this. Both accounts have S's. Both accounts have S's. Both accounts need the Savior, the blood of Jesus. Both accounts need the Lord. Both accounts have to have grace. But there's also a difference in our R's and Jesus's R. And the difference is found in Isaiah 64 verse 6, and that is this. We are all unclean and sin-infected, and all of our righteousness or our best deeds is like a filthy rag. So really, our R's could also mean rags. In other words, the day you think you can fix something in your life is like a filthy rag. The day that you think you made the right decision is a filthy rag compared to a perfect man who gave his life for us. The day you, and listen, there's nothing wrong with self-help books, just like there's nothing wrong with a history book or a science book. But the day you think that you got it fixed and now you've come this far and now you can do it, that's nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. See, when we get saved, we know we needed Jesus that day. But after we get saved, we spend 20 years in church. We know some scripture. We're leading up a Bible study. We're singing in the choir. And at that point, sometimes we think, well, man, I got here because I've been doing this and this and this. You got here because of nothing. Nothing but filthy rags is why you're here. So how in the world, how in the world am I going to get to heaven? If I got S's all in my account, and Pastor Pam's got some S's in her account. And there's one I forgot about that y'all don't know about. But there we go. If y'all didn't listen, how in the world are we going to get to heaven? Here's how. God took all of the S's in my account and he put them in his son's account. And he took all of the R's in his son's account and he put them in my account. And he looked at his son and he said, you die. And he looked at me and he said, you can live. And that, and that alone is the only reason that I'm ever going to heaven. Romans 5, 17 says, Those who receive God's grace and free gift of righteousness will reign with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying whenever we sin that God's not displeased, and I'm not saying that there's not consequences. I'm saying our righteousness is based on our, per, our position, not on our performance. So I want to ask you this. You can put that up there, Erica, please. There you go. Now, here's a question. Now, I'm about done. Can an unrighteous man do a righteous deed? Listen real close before you answer. Can an unrighteous man do the right thing? Can he actually make a right decision? Yes or no? Okay. Let's say there's a guy who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know Jesus. And um, he's not a believer. And he goes to another town and he has a business meeting and he, he makes a lot of money. He makes like $2 million in, the, in just a few hours, so he's in a good mood. Not a believer. But on his way back to his hotel, he sees some kids playing with the ball and the, um, the ball comes out in the street, so he grabs it so they don't get hurt and he takes it back to the kids. Then he sees um, this little old lady that needs help crossing the road and he, he holds onto her and he crosses the street with her and helps her cross. And then he sees a bum right outside his hotel room asking for money and he gives the bum um, $2,000, okay? Did those righteous deeds that the unrighteous man did make him righteous? No. Okay. 
you got a righteous man who loves Jesus, goes to church. He's a saved believer. And he goes out of town for a business meeting. He has an awful day. He loses two million bucks. And so on his way to his hotel, he sees some kids playing with the ball. And he kicks the ball out in the street to make them go get it. Then he walks up ahead and he sees a little old woman named Loretta. And, he gra- and, he's, and Loretta needs help crossing the road. And he bumps Loretta and she falls in a puddle. <laughs> then he goes a little bit further and he gets to his hotel and there's a bum asking for money and he kicks the bum in the shin and he curses at him listen did those unrighteous deeds that the righteous man did make him unrighteous well then why do we live that way see we know that we can't do anything righteous to become right. We know that if we're unrighteous, we can't do good deeds and be righteous. We know that. We're smart Christians. But we forget that when we are in right standing with God because of Jesus Christ on the cross, we forget that when we're righteous, if we do something unrighteous, we think that we lose our position. We are righteous not because of anything we do that's righteous, but because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Only God's grace can change us. Only God's grace can grow us. Only God's grace can develop us. Only God's grace can help us. Only God's grace can get us through a day. It's like this lady, she, 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 she was praying to God one day. She said, God, so far I've done really good. I haven't cussed anybody. I haven't complained. I haven't worried. I haven't had any lustful thoughts or fearful thoughts. I've refused to gossip. I've refused to be critical. I've refused to be judgmental. But God, I'm really going to need your help today because I'm about to get out of bed. Every one of us have to have grace on a daily basis. Let me show you one more scripture. I think we're done. Galatians 3, 2 through 3. Did, this, is, this is very important to me. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law or by hearing the gospel and believing it? How can you be so stupid? This is the Sakasti message translation. How can you be so dumb, you dummy? You began by God's Spirit. Now you want to finish in your own power? Wait a minute, you got saved by the Spirit of God and now you actually want to start growing on your own? You got saved by the Spirit of God, now you actually want to be something on your own? You got saved by God, now you want to get out of that addiction on your own? You got saved by God, now you want to have a good relationship with somebody on your own? You got saved by God and now you want to teach on your own? Now you think you're something? Man, you're nothing without God's grace. Um... The way we grow is through a relationship. That's how we grow. The whole goal is for us to, in, any, in any, any relationship, it grows through spending time together, affirming each other, serving one another, talking to one another. That's all God wants to do with us. Okay? Last point, I'm done. So one day, God came down to the children of Israel after the Mosaic law. And he says, hey, Israelites, I want to make a covenant with you. A covenant works both ways. I got something to do. You got something to do. Here's my part. My part is I'm going to be your God. My part is I will always be there when you need me. My part is I'm going to heal you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you joy, knowledge, whatever you need. I will be your God. Here's your part, Israelites. You got to do everything right. You got to keep the law to the T. I mean, don't you mess up at all. You need to do everything I've written for you, even that whole chapter on whenever you get a scab, you need to honor it to the T. The Israelites said, okay, we can do it. They couldn't go one day 
not one day keeping the law. <clears throat> a few thousand years later, God comes to me. He says, John Paul, I want to have a covenant with you. <coughs> There's two parts. My part is, I want to be your best friend. I want to heal you, deliver you, love on you. I want to be good to you. I want to provide joy for you, peace, wisdom, strength. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be there whenever you call. I'm always with you. I will be your God. And I said, okay, what's my part? God said, Jesus, come here. Son, I want to be in relationship with John Paul. But he's not perfect. So I need you to get off of your throne where you are worshipped and adored. And I want you to go down to that place called earth. Where people aren't going to treat you right. And I need you to go down there and I need you to keep every single law to the T. I need you to do everything just right. Be perfect. Don't mess up, not even once. In other words, son, I need you to live for John Paul. But there's one more thing. John Paul's going to mess up. He's going to break the law, and the wages of sin is death. If you break one, you break them all. So, son, I don't just need you to live for him. I need you to die for him. And Jesus said, okay. And then God turns to me and says, John Paul, all I want to do is hang out with you. just want a relationship. That's it. And I said, okay. But then here I am 12 years later, 13 years later. Am I still trusting that what he did is enough? <laughs> 